Taylor and Becca, and we just ate a lot of pizza. <laughs> and this is ghost emoji. Yeah. Not not pizza emoji, but ghost emoji. We're bringing that big pizza pie energy to this episode. Mm, big pizza energy. We're heavy with pizza. Heavy. Heavy. I have thin crust, but it's still it's still sitting heavy. I mean, it's thin crust, but on top of that crust is sauce and cheese and toppings. And on top of that cheese is vegetables. And then on top of all of that is Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. You you disgust me. <laughs> I disgust myself. However, soda and pizza are like, they're classic. You can't have one without the other. Like, drinking water with pizza feels bad. I do it, but I, I don't want to. Do you know what I mean? And I'm drinking this Pepsi, but I don't want it, but I'm still going to do it. So it sounds like you are drinking it with water if you don't like it and you don't want to do it. <sighs> yes, but one uh, has like the essence of Coke without being Coke. The suggestion of Coke. The suggestion of Coke. A memory of Coke. <laughs> the whisper of Coke. Coke. But not really, because I'm disgusting Pepsi. I know. I should be supporting you. I shouldn't be shaming you. You know what you did. Yeah. And I just need to be there for you. I didn't pay for it. It was gifted to me. Hold out my hand and say, take my hand, let me pull you through to the other side. I always feel bad for, like, YouTubers and and celebrities who get, like, brand deals. Well, mostly, like, YouTubers. Because people will be like, oh, they sold out. And I'm like, I would sell out in a fucking heartbeat. And if you wouldn't, you're lying to yourself. Like, if someone was like, I'm going to send you all this stuff for free. And if you don't like it, you can say you don't like it. But if you do like it, you should. You're going to tell me you're just going to be like, no, I like being poor. Really? I guess it depends on the terms of the deal. Like, if they send it to me and they're like, you can only drink Dr. Pepper for the rest of time. I would be like, I'm going to empty out this one Dr. Pepper bottle, and then I'm going to fill it with what I actually want to drink for the rest of time. That seems fair. It depends on how much money they're going to pay me. $100. I would just stop drinking Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I would just stop drinking anything except water. I'd be like, oh, I'm just, I don't need it right now. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just ate. Just <laughs> just ate. They're like, you're a sponsor. You have to drink it. And I'll be like, I already drank some today. You just didn't see me. You just didn't see it. Oh, I drank so much. I'm so full. I can't <laughs> oh, drink anymore. so much Dr. Pepper. It was so good. It definitely didn't taste like spicy trash water. Mm, I'm full of burps. Mm. Gosh. Yeah. Blech. You know what else sits heavy is Dr. Pepper. It's, I don't know what to do with Dr. Pepper. And the people who feel strongly about it really love it. More power to them, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, anytime... We throw out that we hate it. I feel like there's someone who, like, bristles up and is like, what did you say? I said the thing you love sucks. <laughs> and I don't even feel bad. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it. I'll say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> Dr. Pepper is spicy trash water. Uh, it is. Anyway, today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> No, but really, Dr. Pepper, if you want to change my mind, offer me a million dollars and I'll say whatever the fuck you want me to say. Fair. That's fair. I'll sell out. I'll sell out for, I'll sell out for money. <clears throat> so today we're talking about people who fall in love, which is in quotations, with killers. Yeah, I was going to say those, uh, those quotation marks are pretty, pretty heavy, pretty necessary. 
I mean, I guess they think they love them and maybe they do, but I would say there's something wrong with your brain. Just like people who like Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not quite that. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> I know. And I was just saying it for comedic effect. Obviously, people who are in love with murderers and rapists have a lot more wrong with them than people who have a preference for bad soda. Uh, that was a good little jab you got in there, though. Okay. So... Our sources for today come from CNN.com, HuffPost.com, PsychologyToday.com, and eOnline.com. Thrilling, I know. I thought about including, like, websites for people who want to, like, talk to prisoners, which there's nothing wrong with wanting to talk to, like, prisoners, because a lot of the time prisoners need that sort of, like, positive connection from someone on the outside, and I get that. And dating someone who's done, like, white collar crime or I don't know like minor things like I still don't think it's a great idea but you know you live your life however I'm going to say I definitely frown upon anyone who's like I want to marry or bone or talk to extensively someone who has raped and murdered and killed (laughs) like it's just not smart it's just it's bad business don't do it So I didn't include any of those websites. If you're into that, more power to you, I guess. But you can look that up on your own. I will not facilitate it. Anyways, moving right along. Per Psychology Today, sexologist and professor John Money first defined the word hybristophilia. You got it. As a sexual paraphilia in which a person gets sexual arousal and pleasure from having a partner who is known to have committed an outrage or crime, such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. However, most of the information I have comes from Sheila Eisenberg, who interviewed female histohybristophiliacs for her book, Women Who Love, Men Who Kill, which is says so much. Uh, And it states that one of the reasons for choosing to be with a man in prison is the fantasy element of all of it, along with having control. That's just so sad to me, is... You only feel like you're in control when your partner, husband, boyfriend, or whatever is literally in jail where they can't do anything to you. Mm -hmm. Except, I guess, maybe say mean things to you or try and intimidate you from far away and not in person. And that's the best you can do. This is the fantasy. Is it? (sighs) If it is, that's very sad. I mean, that's what Sheila said. Sheila said it's the fantasy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the saddest part is, like, the fact that it's super prevalent and also that what I gathered from this is the entire reason this kind of shit happens is from, like, toxic masculinity. It's the idea of, like, an alpha male or that gross controlling masculinity and knowing, like, the best way to, like, have that but also be protected from that is by dating someone who's in prison. And it's just like, if that's how you have to attain that like kind of man, why do you want it? Like it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's not sustainable. It's, I just, I don't get it, but you know, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) We're just going to keep going. It was very, it was very frustrating research to do. Bless you for doing it. 
if you're in a relationship with a man behind bars for life or a man on death row, then you've heard you have a lot of control over the relationship, she wrote. You can decide when to make the visit, when to accept the phone call, or if you will accept the phone call, you are that man's primary link with the outside world. So as you can see, it's like a powerful position to be in. What a strange word. I don't think that that's how I would describe it, but, you know. Uh, She says some, like, kind of problematic stuff anyways. Like, at some point, she talks about, like, oh, well, you don't have to do his laundry or his dishes or whatever. And I was like, first of all, if you're having to do all that shit and he's not doing half of it or, like, you haven't entered into some sort of agreement where it's like, I'm going to do, like, most of the house chores and you're going to do... Most of the, I don't know, like yard chores or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a partnership, but like, I was just like, man, there's so much to unpack in that one sentence that you just said. I wonder if it's her like reporting back that this is what she's heard from people that makes them interested in a relationship like this, or if it's that Mm -hmm. she's like, no, this is real and true. And I believe it also. I don't know. I want to believe it's the former, but. I don't trust almost anyone, so. <laughs> no, me either. Me either. What does Dr. Michael Aaron, a sex therapist and author, have to say? Mm-hmm. Tell me. So, I guess the author of Modern Sexuality, Dr. Michael Aaron, told Vice, So there's two parts to hybristophilia. There's that taboo danger part to it. And there's this hyper-masculine, aggressive part that could be very appealing to some women. Some. Some. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you threw that in there, or else I would have put my fist through the monitor. Um, (laughs) This isn't exclusive to women, though. Susan Adkins, a member of the Manson family who got a life sentence for her role in the Sharon Tate LaBianca murders, married two different men in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's (laughs) it's an equal opportunity, Philia. Mm-hmm. It's just a fucked up Ophelia, mm. essentially. Hold on, I gotta let Coco out. Bye, Coco. Of this room because she's being loved. Get the fuck out, goodbye, I love you so much. She realized there was no pizza to be had any <laughs> she's longer. It's like, where's that faint odor of pizza? I followed it on the air, <laughs> like John Mulaney <laughs> as Spider Ham in the Oscar winning yes. movie Into the Spider Verse. Yes. All right. So. We talked about it being, it can happen to both, but I feel like it primarily, or at least the one that we focus on a lot, is when women fall in love with dudes. I mean, it's also because most most murders and rapes and, like... Serial killers? <laughs> serial killers are men. So it makes sense that it would primarily be, like, a female-centered issue. Although I was curious about, like... If it happens between, like, gay men, but I I have no idea. I didn't really look into it because I was like, there's just so much overwhelming evidence that it's mostly, like, a lady thing that I was like, well, I could look into it, but it was just too depressing and I didn't want to go any further. (laughs) I mean, maybe once you've recovered a bit, it could be, like, a a (sighs) follow-up thing because it would be interesting, but Mm -hmm. hopefully, maybe it just only came up because it's just a a hetero thing. Oh, those hets. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) So essentially women who fall into this category are able to act out their fantasies. Again, this fantasy word is so problematic. (laughs) 
with these dangerous men in a safe, controlled environment. Part of the appeal is the alpha male, bad boy nature of the imprisoned man. It's a quality that even non-hypristope... <laughs> imprisoned man... <laughs> That's how I feel about it. It's a quality that even non-hybristophiliacs can be drawn to. Maybe. I guess. Becca put oh. some good, good notes yes. into this. She said, I can personally back that up from reading fanfiction that made me feel super uncomfortable. A ton of fanfiction and romance novels are marinated in hypertoxic masculinity. The idea of a man being unable to control themselves and also intense jealousy and posturing. Mm -hmm. I know you hate it when they do that yep. to Garrus. I do. I hate it when they do it to anyone. Like, they'll do it. They'll put, they'll put that weird, like, I swear to God, it feels like they're putting on a costume. It's like their sexual fantasy or weird, suit. like, idea. And they put a Garrus suit or whoever it is, like, they put that suit on and they're like, all right, now I'm ready to go to Bone Town. It's like, disgusting. Get that off. Yeah. Get that off. You haven't earned it. You don't it. deserve to even look at him. <laughs> I just get mad. So anyways. Ugh. So, Sheila Eisenberg found that there are two primary groups of people who end up with these murderers. Those who fall in love with, quote-unquote, ordinary murderers, believing that they see the true good side of the killer. And then the other group is those who start relationships with notorious tabloid headlining murderers because they're drawn to the spotlight. Which, I, I can understand that one a little more. Still not totally, but a little bit more. It's the idea that they want to be infamous, too. And it's it's like when Scott Peterson was spent, sent to prison and he got marriage proposals by, like, the hundreds before he even got to the prison. And it's because people know that if they get involved with these men, their, their name or maybe even their picture will get in the paper. However, in her research, Eisenberg also found that many in both groups cling to the belief that their convicted boyfriends and husbands are, in fact, innocent. I feel like they'd have to, because some of these, like, even if the first one is like, no, I think they're really good, and that's why they couldn't do it. And I feel like the second group or wants to believe that they didn't do it because by way of, like, taking advantage of these incarcerated people's crimes to get famous, then they're also benefiting from you know whoever the victim of the crime was yeah so it's like oh i'm you know i'm just taking advantage of this man in jail because he's a killer and i want to make some money but that means that you're making money off of his family that he murdered yeah it's it's a it's all around just like a bunch of kind of gross looks so yeah but these these women not all of them but a lot of them are deluded in the idea that this man that they're in love with didn't commit the crimes and they're just being, like, falsely accused. It's a bad look. Mm -hmm. Who wore it best? Nobody. Everyone looks like shit. Everyone's got poop on their face. <laughs> All right, so this is still Sheila. Sheila knows everything. She points to women like Carol Ann Boone, who began her relationship with good old Ted Bundy, while he was on trial for two murders and three assaults at Florida State University, married him and had his child, which, yikes. Um, and then Bundy later confessed to 30 murders, so, you know, well, father of your child. Bad choices were made. Ugh. Boone, uh, said Boone worked with Bundy at the Washington State Department of Emergency Services, and she felt like she 
or she said that she liked Ted immediately and she testified for him as a character witness because she felt like he was being railroaded and it wasn't until after his conviction that she eventually became convinced of his guilt and ended their relationship. So, I mean, I guess not best case scenario, but at least she ended it. But still, uh, she, it wasn't just like a little fling. She had a baby with him and tried to help him not go to jail for the mm-hmm. awful things he did. Yeah, which is why she and her daughter, I'm pretty sure, like, changed their names and went into hiding, which, yeah, that makes sense. Also, can you imagine being, like, the kid of Ted Bundy? That would suck. Um, that would I mean, suck. but there's probably some real weirdos out there that are like, I want to marry you because of your dad. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, isn't there, like, didn't, um... Nicholas Cage, Mary, what's her name? It's not Priscilla, it's... Uh, Elvis Presley's daughter, I can't remember yeah, her name. I can't remember her name, but I know that, I don't know if it's actually true or if it's just a joke, but I know that that gets past where it's like, you don't marry someone just because you like their dad's music. Like, that's not how that works. That's weird, Nick. Mm-hmm. That's that's a weird, weird thing. Mm-mm. Don't you do that. You weird man. <laughs> You weirdy. <laughs> you damn weirdy. Anyways. So. God. This research. Um, since many <laughs> states don't allow conjugal visits, for some of these couples, there's never the chance to become physical. And the women, for the most part, don't mind this, Eisenberg says, and most are more interested in the romance. Which I feel like is a little like, I don't know when she wrote this book, but it feels a little sexist in the idea of like, women don't need sex. And it's like, that's not true. I mean, like, obviously, there are women who fall into every like category of like sexual interest from hypersexual to asexual and aromantic. But it's like, I feel like there's this weird generalization where it's like, women could go years without sexual fulfillment. And it's like, I don't think that's necessarily true. They subsist on poems and chocolates. <laughs> poems and rose petals. Ugh. Ugh. Disgusting. Anytime you start to feel a little horny, just grab some rose petals and just shove them in your mouth. <laughs> I need my pills. Just nosh on them until the feeling subsides. Yeah. Mm. But anyways, she says, dating someone who's serving a life sentence often involves an intense level of courtship. Most of these prisoners have nothing but time on their hands, so they shower their girlfriends with affection. He paints pictures for you, writes poems for you, writes long 30, 40, 50 page letters, which sounds horrible. I would not want that. The carpal tunnel. (sighs) It's an enormously romantic relationship, Eisenberg said. For many, it's like you're living in your own romance novel. What the fuck? (laughs) I'm telling you, reading this was painful. (laughs) I have not really read very many romance novels, so I'm assuming this is wrong. Uh, I mean, according to fan fiction and some of the romance novels I've read, it's, it's fairly true because it's that weird, like... I'm obsessed with you, but I want to control you, but I'm also protecting you, but actually you're mine and you can't talk to any other men because you belong to me. Promise me you won't talk to any other men because I want to stick my wiener in you exclusively. Is this like Twilight? Yes. Oh no. We've come full circle. Oh no. 
It all leads back to Twilight. But all roads lead back to Twilight. To Edward's sparkly, disgusting dick. <laughs> That's gonna be our quote for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eisenberg continues on to say that a lot of the women interested in a romance with a man behind bars have come from abusive childhoods or were abused in relationships. This was the sad part that made me upset because it's like to some degree I can I, I mean like I can understand it but at the same time it just feels so like soul crushing to think that because some of these women were like physically psychologically or verbally abused that they turn to this as like a way to be in control and she says like um she came up with a theory that Quote, if you're in a relationship with a man who's behind bars for life or on death row, he can't hurt you. You're in the driver's seat and in control for maybe the first time in your life. And that was soul crushing because it's just like for you to have to be, I feel like, pushed into that, like backed into that corner of feeling so like insecure and scared of men and scared of love and relationships and stuff like that for you to turn to that is just incredibly sad. <laughs> hmm. That's rough. Yeah. Beck is the real MVP doing all this, this, I say shitty research, not because it's bad research, but because it's all shitty stuff. It's just really like, you just, you're like, oh, this is going to be funny, but actually it turns out it's just sad. Ugh. All right. Our first example is someone who fell in love with Kenneth Bianchi who was part of the Hillside Strangler duo, um, a female admirer of Kenneth Bianchi, uh, was contacted during his trial, and even though Bianchi was accused of raping and murdering multiple women and girls, including a 12-year-old, he um, she gave falsified testimony in defense of Bianchi, which that's the, um, I guess the lady, did they give her a name? Um, no, because he didn't marry her. It was just some rando lady. I think her name was like Veronica something. Mm. Well, it sounds like she got out okay if she didn't end up stuck with them. Mm. Um, well, okay, so maybe not. She was later <laughs> convicted of attempting to strangle a woman in order to make it appear that the hillside strangler was still at large. No. Bad. Bad. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, fuck. I spoke too soon. I was like, man, she's gonna be real sad when she reads the next sentence. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> What a twist. Oh, God. All right, so despite these signs of her intense devotion, Bianchi did not marry his admirer and instead ended up marrying Shirley Joyce Brooke. Uh, Shirley, Shirley Joyce Boyk. <laughs> instead, he ended up marrying Shirley Joyce Book in 1989. She was a pen pal of his that initially pursued Ted Bundy before moving on to him. So, Wow. Wow. What a wild ride. <laughs> From start to finish. Why? Why I don't do know. That? Fuck if I know. Oh god. Don't do that. Don't don't be this rando who's I guess in jail now. Please just go to therapy. Please just go to therapy. If you have any of these feelings and you're like the way I want to be in control of my life is by dating someone who, like, is behind bars and can't hurt me. He definitely still can hurt you. He can hurt you verbally he can hurt you emotionally he could break out of jail and kill you please just go to therapy go to therapy and deal with the issues that like have happened to you or currently happening to you 
just go to therapy, please, I beg of you. Don't do this. <laughs> Wolf a doodle. So, all right, Lyle Menendez has been married twice since being in prison for the 1989 murder of his parents, along with his brother, Eric Menendez. In 1993, Lyle started a relationship with formal model Anna Erickson when she began writing to him after the first murder, tr murder trial, and she felt bad for him when it seemed his brother was receiving more letters than he was. I'm a fabulous letter writer, she told People in 1996, revealing her first letter was just a little note saying, like, Hang tough. And she drew a picture of a hand doing the mahalo sign. I know? hope so. Hang loose. Hang loose, baby. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. She actually no. just said hang tough because she's an exceptional letter writer. Yeah, I know. She led with something so strong and then she followed through with like the lamest fucking example. I was like, so you wrote him a poem or a sonnet or something? And then she's like... I sent him a note that said, like, hang tough. I was like, oh, cute. I mean, sometimes you give him, like, just a little taste, you know? It's that brevity. <laughs> it's an amuse-bouche. <laughs> it's a little, uh... Of romance. A little appetizer of what's to come. Ugh. Oh, God. So after that appetizer of hang tough, the two eventually married Ugh. in 1996. Um, their nuptials conducted over speakerphone by a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, by 2001, the couple had divorced after Erickson discovered he had been exchanging letters with another woman. How dare. Bastard. Couldn't have happened to a nicer lady. Mm. Uh, see, in 2003, Lyle wed Rebecca Sneed, a magazine editor, in the visiting area of his prison, and the two are still married. Sneed visits her husband every weekend, mm -hmm. I guess to make sure he's not writing letters to other women. I know what your brother did. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, it's it's still him. Oh, I know what you did. Yeah. He's got Never two mind. marriages under I his thought we had moved on to Eric for some prison reason. Prison belt. So, Sneed, the lovely wife of Lyle Menendez, says, Our interactions tend to be very free of distractions, and we probably have more intimate conversations than most married spouses do who are distracted by life's events. Lyle told People in a rare interview, Man, People is all over these Menendez brothers mm -hmm. and their, their waifus. Yep. Uh, let's see. We try and talk on the phone every day, sometimes several times a day. I have a very steady, involved marriage, and that helps sustain me and brings a lot of joy and peace. It's a counter to the unpredictable, very stressful environment here. His, it sounded like such a brag, like, I'm closer than most of you normies who are married, and it's like, you killed your family. You just shut the fuck up. Shut the Weird fuck up. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, like, all right. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a job or any, like, very many rights or uh, anything to do other than, like, work out and talk to your wife who you manipulated into marrying you because you killed your family. Super. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, gosh, just can't get at that same level. Darn. Well, it runs in the family because his brother Eric, also married an admirer after their 1996 conviction, Tammy Ruth Sackman, Sackman, Tammy Ruth S. was married when she began <laughs> writing the older Menendez brother in 1993 after watching the trial that riveted the nation. They continued to write each other once a month, with Eric supporting Sackman when she discovered her husband had been having a sexual relationship with their teenage daughter, I guess his yeah. stepdaughter. That's sucks yeah it's i hope he also went to jail uh which began when he she was just 15 her husband turned himself into the police but uh, died by suicide shortly after well you 
shouldn't have sex with children. So, yep, suicide is rough. That part is not good. But he sounds like he was a scumbag. And I wish he'd just gone to jail. Yep. So the Pinfals finally met in person for the first time in 1997 and eventually married in 1999 with a Twinkie serving as their wedding cake. You know, 1999 was probably a wild year. You got Y2K coming. You don't know what's going to happen. So why not marry a man who killed both of his parents in prison with a Twinkie as your wedding cake? Uh, okay. So that brings us to Oscar Ray Bolin. Sometimes it's not groupies or randos, it's someone on their legal team. Gross. So while on death row, after being convicted of killing three women in Florida while working at a carnival, Oscar Ray Bolin married Rosalie Martinez, a member of his legal defense team, which is mind boggling to me because she went to school for so long. But I guess that just shows that like, sometimes these guys are just too hot. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say. No, (laughs) I was going to say that sometimes you can be educated, but you don't have common sense. That's probably more accurate and especially because i feel like if you're on their like legal team i mean i guess maybe that's the best defense is to just really and truly think that they didn't do it to the point that you fall in love with them Mm -hmm. but at the same time i feel like that would give you ample time to see like the intimate details of their case and all of the bad stuff they potentially did in this case did do so I don't know. Didn't, uh, did you watch The Staircase on Netflix? Uh, I've, like, heard about the murder, but I've never actually watched that documentary, you know? It was a, a documentary from a while back, and then on Netflix, I guess, last year, they re-released it with, like, a follow-up. I think there was, Ooh. like, a few additional episodes, kind of, after the fact. But then it popped up that someone on the team, like, the, the documentary team had, like, fallen in love with and was in a romantic relationship with the dude who's suspected of killing two of his wives. Fools. (laughs) Fools. You fools. So, I mean, being on a documentary team, I guess, is different than being on the legal team, but they were heavily involved in talking with the defense attorneys and, and all of that for the documentary, so I don't know. I don't know. I just... So, Martinez left her husband and gave up primary custody of their four children for Bolin, and the two remained married Remained married until he was executed in January of 2016. And she said, I never, never, ever thought for a second that he was guilty of those three murders, she said during a 2020 special on their unique relationship. Martinez would visit Bolin twice a week, but the two were never able to consummate their marriage, expressing their love through letters. She said, quote, I think the art of lovemaking is probably in these cards, which I don't know anything about Oscar Ray Bolin. Maybe he didn't murder three people at a carnival. I I just, you know, it still seems like a bad idea. I feel like you yep. have to be pretty damn sure to not only leave your husband, but to give up custody of your four kids. That's why I'm sort of just like, I don't think she's got good sense. This last one's a doozy, by the way. Ugh. Oh, great, great. This is an example of when they get out and it's not great. So this is Philip Carl Jablonski. 
Carol Spadoni met and married Philip Carl Jablonski, a serial killer, in 1982 while he was serving 12 years in prison for murdering the mother of his child. Um, they met through a personal ad, so the old school version of a dating app, basically. I like that you included that for anyone who's like, what's a personal ad? <laughs> that was from the article, and I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> but a year after he was released from prison in 1990, Jablonski murdered Spadoni and her mother, Eva Peterson. What the fuck? Whom he also sexually assaulted. What the fuck? He went on to kill two other women before being apprehended a few days later, and he's currently on death row. Dude, what the fuck? So that's what I'm saying. Like, get therapy. Don't risk your life, the lives of people you love, by, you know, on the off chance he is innocent of murdering, like, five people. Do you really want to, like, what's the, I just feel like. The statistics or the, what is it, the chances aren't good. Like, it doesn't look like a good bet you would make. I guess if you're like a gambler and you're like, this seems like fun. I I just. I know, but you, but someone like that, I mean, her mom got killed and yep. these two other people. I mean, yep. I guess it's not like she personally was like, no. I'm going to get him out of jail. No, not to say it's her fault or anything like that. It's just. He would have killed once he was out anyway. It was just yeah. like, you know what I'd love to do? Kill my intimate partners. Mm-hmm. That's what really does it for me. It's like, it makes me just so sad because I'm like, you didn't have to talk to this person. I don't I know. I know that dating can be rough, but there are so many people who aren't murderers. Yep. That you could give it a shot with. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, there's the risk of being murdered by a rando, but this is you're literally entering into... A relationship going like i know you you might murder me if you had the chance like for sure the percentage is real high instead of fairly low mm. anyways so i had to take a break like i did the research like two weeks ago and then i had to take a break because i just kept getting mad in conclusion for all the intensity a lot of these relationships don't last since most of these prisoners will never be released there's no chance to move forward and live together in day-to-day -day life and for the women who fall in love with killers, that can seem like a perfect boyfriend situation, as Catherine Ramsland, a professor of forensic psychology at DeSales, right? DeSales? DeSales or DeSales, I don't know. Looks French. Yeah. University in Pennsylvania wrote in Psychology Today. There's no laundry to do, no cooking for him, and no accountability to him. Oh, is that the one that made you mad? Yeah. Yeah, it made me mad. I can see why. I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, that That's... could that could be in a regular non-murder relationship, too, mm -hmm. if you uh, set your expectations being like, I don't know what you grew up with, but you're going to learn how to do your own portion of the laundry and help around the house. We're uh, mm. both going to give at least 50%. Because <laughs> it's like, I just, mm. anyways, but the whole phenomenon reminds me of a less serious but equally pervasive issue that I, like, see and it's if your partner has cheated on their previous partner with you, like if they had a partner, you got together because they were cheating on their previous partner with you, they will most likely cheat on you as well. You're not special. You're not going to change them. If you marry a serial killer or a murderer that's locked away, the only reason they haven't hurt you or abused you or murdered you is because they physically cannot. And maybe that does that, like does something for you. I don't know, but just go to therapy, please. 
We're not here to kink shame, but this is a fetish you must squash. It's not good for you, and it's not good for anyone. Well, I mean, that's true for a lot of things. Like, I mean, obviously the cheating thing is still really bad. Maybe not as yeah. bad as murder. But, I mean, if you've heard anything about your partner being abusive towards a previous partner, or if you ask them questions about a previous relationship and they explain it away as being like, well, they were crazy, or, you know, I never did that, or whatever... And there might be a 1% chance that it's not true, but most of the time, there's going to be a grain of truth in there, and it's too dangerous to take that chance. It doesn't matter how special you think he is, or unique, or whatever, or how special and unique he makes you feel. There are too many other people out there to date who won't abuse you or cheat on you. And they're certainly not going to be a convicted murderer. Hell Yeah. If that's the worst thing they gotta do is die single, let them rot. Yep. <laughs> single murderers for life. <laughs> Welcome. Please. Well, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Don't date murderers. That's what this feels like, is basically a PSA. Like, please go to therapy. Please don't marry serial killers. It's a bad idea for everyone involved. It can be deadly. Also, it's just not a cute look. There are other ways to become infamous. I don't know, like... If that's what you're really wanting, like, you could show your vagina on the internet, and I feel like that would be, like, less of an issue. Become one of those, like, people who smash their face on bread. Yeah! On Twitch or something. Become, like, a someone who eats in front of people for money. There are loads of things you can do to embarrass yourself on the internet that don't involve, like, risking your life or the lives of your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Just saying. All right. Thanks, everyone. Drive safe. <laughs> I promise next week will not be quite as dark. Well, not next week. Next next week. Whatever. We can try. We'll find a way. <laughs> we'll try our best. I mean, it is ghost emoji, but Jesus. So what do you got going on that was spooky and scary these past two weeks? Um, other than this research. This research really does take the cake. I would say we we had like a mild spooky experience while playing D&D &D at UTD. Like, what, last weekend? Yeah. Taylor had gone to the bathroom, and when I heard her washing her hands, I went in, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And UTD, she, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a, not a community college, but it's like a college campus Yeah, up here in North Texas, and we go there to play D&D. &D. Yeah, at, late at night. Like, so it was a Sunday, it was late at night, nobody was around, there was like a a lady, like a janitor, who was cleaning, but she was talking on the phone really loudly. Her cart was really loud, and she was on a different hallway. I get in the stall. Taylor said something to the effect of, like, okay, I'm gonna head back. And I said, okay. And then I heard the door shut, and <clears throat> I heard someone, because it's tile floor, I heard someone tapping their foot. And I was like, Taylor? And then it stopped. And so I was like, oh, she's going to scare me. That's what she's going to do. Because <laughs> they do that at work to Cherie mostly. But sometimes we do it to other people on accident. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. I, I, I literally, after it stopped, I went, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you really are going to get me. And so I finished up, came out of the stall, like, is she going to jump out? And she didn't. And I was like, Okay. So then I went and washed my hands and I was like looking around like, when's she going to jump out? And she didn't. 
And then I opened the door and I was like, she's definitely going to be out here in the hallway. And she wasn't. And I was like, hmm, maybe she like, maybe the door is quieter than I think. And so I like opened and shut the door to see like if maybe she had come back in and left like twice. But that wasn't it. (sighs) So I went back and I was like, did you? I think there was a ghost. And then I scullied it up and was like, it was probably just me walking because I had like little ankle boots on and they're pretty loud on the tile floor. So I was like, it was probably just the sound of me walking out the hallway and you could hear it. But then later on when we were all getting ready to leave, uh, people were going to the bathroom before we headed back out to the parking lot. And I was walking up and down the wall that backs up to it because I was like oh it was probably when I was walking here and it probably just reverberated through and the timing just so happened to be when she said Taylor that I turned a corner or whatever but then when they came out of the bathroom I was like did y'all hear me I was stomping around outside and they were like what no no why were you stomping around I'm like I'm trying to prove a point it's not ghosts but I mean you know it could be a pipe or it could have been anything I guess but it was mostly just weird that it was tapping and it sounded like a foot on the tile, and then it stopped when I said, I said, Taylor, and it stopped. Well, the fact that it was loud enough that you acknowledged it, and then it stopped, like, I feel like I hear noises that are kind of creaky or whatever sometimes in my house, and I don't actually call out and be like, Mark? Well, Mark? Because <laughs> I assume that's what it is. I didn't say this because it's it sounds stupid, but you know that feeling when you know that there's someone, like, in the room? Yeah. That's what it felt like. I felt like you were still in the room. It's creeping on you. (laughs) I was just like, oh, she's trying to, like, spook me. You know, I hold pee time sacred. I would never try and scare you while you're peeing. I Well, I was surprised, but I was like, (laughs) I mean, maybe she's decided this is the time. (laughs) She's turned a corner. I didn't have any, like, strong feelings either way. Like, I wasn't like, it was definitely a ghost, right? It probably wasn't a ghost. I was just like, I don't know. It just happened, and I was alone, so there's no one to, like, corroborate with me. But a bunch of people have been like, it wasn't a ghost, and I just want to be like, you weren't there. Excuse you. It could have been a ghost. (laughs) So now she's buckled down, and she's like, it was a fucking ghost. (laughs) I hate being told how I feel. Anyways, what's your thing? Um, I missed it again. I feel like I'm always leaving like two seconds before a ghost makes a sound. So um, I did not experience any ghost stuff this week, but I did watch The Kingdom on Netflix, which is like a period Korean zombie drama, and it was really good. I was bummed because I finished it today, and I didn't realize that there's going to be a second season. So it yeah, ends on like a, a uh, cliffhanger. Yeah, that was rough. And since it's on Netflix, I don't know how their seasons always work. So I don't know when it's going to be out again. But it's six episodes. I think they're about an hour each, if I remember correctly. But I don't know very much about Korean history. So it was really interesting to see all of like the period costumes and stuff like that. Yeah, those hats, man. They're yeah, cool. well, the, the hats that the King's Guard and stuff wore kind of reminded me of uh oh what are the the rat knights in final fantasy 9 what was freya (gasps) freya's hat Mm. they kind of made me think of that i think it only had one feather but it kind of like the wide brim hat with the the two feathers sticking up so it kind of looks like almost like really tall like ears or horns or whatever 
it was just interesting. And part of that is just, you know, my ignorance being like, I've never seen this before because I've never looked into it. But I feel like I've consumed a lot of media about, you know, feudal Japan and stuff like that. So I'm a little more familiar with that, like dress and, and setting and stuff. But this was was really interesting. And I'm sad that it's over, but we're not over, but that the season is over and that now I have to wait. But it's scary but still also has a lot of like political intrigue and suspense and stuff it's a little bit gory but not i would say it's not as gory as like the walking dead or something like that so if you're into that they have an english dub for it which i turned on for a little bit just to see what it sounded like and it wasn't great so i would say go with the subtitles if you can i think it's the actual actors dubbing it which is nice, but I didn't like that they changed so much of the dialogue. Yeah. Because I watched it for a little bit, and I was like, they, in the Korean subtitles, they called her a physician, and then in the American dubs, they called her nurse, and I was like, well, maybe it's like, the translation is different, and that's why they're calling her nurse. Like, maybe they're not supposed to be actually, like, the word for physician for a woman is different than, I don't know, but I preferred the subtitles rather than the dub but i also just feel that way in general typically but yep i finished that today so it's not too long and it's good good zombo content mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i didn't get a chance to play it but i'm keeping an eye out i know a while back i talked about how devotion which is a video game by the same people who did detention was coming out and then it came out and they took it off Steam after, like, two days because of some political controversy thing because they left some unkind words about China's president or something in there. And I'm just bummed that I didn't get to play it before they took it off. So, boo. I heard it was very scary. But then it got review bombed by people who were mad. So, didn't get to play it. <laughs> and I'm sad. Curses. Curses. So that does it for us this week. You can find us on most podcast catchers. I know we're on Spotify and obviously Apple and Podbean. And is there another one? Google Play. Google Play. I forget about that one. Whoops. I like that they call them podcatchers because it sounds like Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine them with a big net being like, I'm ready. So you can follow us on Instagram under Ghost Emoji Show, and then you can follow us on Twitter under Ghost Emoji Show as well. And if you want to email us, our email is ghostemojipodcast at gmail.com. I get those all just mixed up. They're but almost all the same, except for our <laughs> email, email is podcast instead of show. I just can't remember which one it is, and so I always, it's whatever the first one is, I'm like, that one's probably podcast <laughs> and not show. <laughs> Good times. But yeah, if you like it, you know, follow us, tell a friend, leave us a nice review, send us an email, say hello. Yeah, five-star reviews are nice. Passing us along to a friend who likes spooky stuff. Maybe someone you're worried is going to start dating a murderer. You can point them in the direction of this mm -hmm. episode. We'll talk them off the ledge. Don't worry. Becca can do it. If not me. Well, until next time, always remember to say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye -bye.